but I didn't know how to properly set those boundaries or explain myself. And that, that was my like mistake, I would say. Uh, but other than that, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fine with what I've thrown out there. As long as the Clintons don't kill me. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen eventually. It's it's eventually, like, uh, yeah, it'll happen. It's like you, you say the, you acknowledge the Wendigo too many times and the that's how you invite the Wendigo. I think Hillary Clinton's similar. If you say her name too many times, she shows up and makes you commit suicide by shooting you twice in the back of the head. She's I'm, almost I'm definitely a cryptid. Yeah. You're listening to the Art and War podcast with your host, Mitch and Nathan. Mitch is a former airborne infantry squad leader who now spends most of his time coaching soccer. Nathan is a professional illustrator and an avid shooter with a couple of years of Canadian military experience. Together, they run the Seaburn Art page. Enjoy the show. So what happened was Nathan, like two days ago, is like, hey, you want to record with Wendigoon? And I'm like, when? And you're like, right now. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) no, I can't right now. Well, it... It shows where your priorities lie, Mitch. You're not you're not willing to take one for the team. You're not willing to drop literally everything else in your life, yeah. your wife, your daughter, and your entire family to if, come record I with mean, me. I would fuck been, you if I would have known in advance because I could have made something work. You you shouldn't need to know in advance. You mm-hmm. should know exactly. You should be able to drop all of your priorities. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you're doing. You yeah, need Mitch, to drop it for well, for art and war. Think think of all our our uh, our eight listeners. Yeah, all. Yeah, Mitch, you can just say yeah. you're not about it. That's fine. <laughs> Confirmed. Isaiah's new host now. Are like 18,000 <laughs> listeners. Bitch. <laughs> I like that. On- oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a marketing campaign for our podcast where every other podcast sucks except for ours. So we just got to <laughs> constantly flex on everybody else because that's how you make it to the top by stepping on others. So, um, Every other podcast talks. <laughs> what a foolproof yep. idea for podcasting that definitely yep. won't backfire. Um, I love it. Definitely. Like, at Last House on the Left, at Joe Rogan Experience, <laughs> at yep. Cumtown. Fuck and you. if any of our guests have podcasts, uh, it's definitely not better than ours. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, may- maybe our podcast would actually be that good, Mitch, if you didn't prioritize your family yeah. like a fucking yeah. loser. True. True. I was reading a thing earlier today. <laughs> Um, where it says once you hit 5,000 listeners annually, that's when it can really take off and you can make money. And here we are sitting like well beyond that and we aren't making out well with money. So <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if, you know, um, you you stopped talking about your penis and I stopped talking about, I, I don't know, uh, how the FBI gives young depressed men uh, Daniel defense rifles. We do. So a little Eliza, I do want to ask because as we know, the internet just hates good content. True. That, that's why. <laughs> True. Would you like to grow your business with Squarespace? <laughs> I do want to ask you about that though. Are you still just manifesting that ad? No, 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 Sorry, no, no. I didn't mean to keep cutting you off. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. Um, <laughs> it would be nice to get that ad. It, anyway, I sorry. do want to get what I really want to get is um, the clash like royale thing but i don't or raid shadow legend yeah raid shadow legends we don't have video (laughs) content so i'm thinking that's just not going to happen it's probably not going to happen i i hear they they pay like stupid money though i i can confirm they do uh but the the reason i don't think they'll get into the podcast scene is they are the most particular brand i've ever worked with 
Like they I've are, heard that. Don't they give you like a really particular script? It's it's a script essentially. Yeah, like read this, say this. Um, but they do shell out yeah, the money. We, so Brandon that, Herrera good. came on, yeah. um, and he said it was like it was like I, I don't remember. I don't think he gave an exact number. He's like you could buy a really small car with it. I was assuming like 15, uh, it, 15 to twenty grand. I I, I would assume, but. I wanted to ask you because you run a very successful YouTube channel now. When it comes to monetization of like videos oh, and like you. YouTube, how like when that? What was your like first offer? You know, to be like, hey, here's some money for doing something that you do. So, the videos are monetized through Google, right? Like uh, the majority of the money comes from YouTube ad revenue. Um, and that's its own thing. That's entirely dependent on how your videos perform, what watch time is, and all of that. Advertisements, as in companies coming to you and asking you to do like a 60-second segment where you talk about their product, is entirely unrelated. So that's its own revenue stream. I remember the first offer that I ever – well, the first one I ever took because the first offer I got was from Adam and Eve. Um, and I just – I'm good. <laughs> I don't want to talk about, you know, adult toys to a bunch of children. Oh, okay. Um, I don't want to interrupt you, but I was going to ask how old is your um, audience usually, but like how much money would they have to pay you for you to consider that Adam and Eve? Uh, nothing. The, the, there's no offer. They they keep hitting me with like very substantial Five million offers, dollars. I just told them there's no, there's no offer. Ten no. million. One nope. billion dollars for a 30 second ad. The, because I, I wouldn't because um, I have an audience that is mostly like teenager age or early adult, but a lot of them are children and no amount of money in my mind is worth trying convincing them that hypersexualization is okay in any regard. If that's something that they grow up and want to do, then, you know, obviously whatever the issue is, but I don't want someone who may be seen as a trustworthy figure, which is a responsibility that several parents and people have told me that I am to their kids. I don't want me to promote something that can be seen as debauchery or lead to bad roads, uh, regardless of money amount. Um, again, if, you know, I don't have a problem with adult toys, obviously as an adult, but I don't think it's something that should be peddled to kids and I don't want to be a part of it. Um, I'm also a Sunday school teacher. So that also conflicts quite heavily <laughs> between the two. It's like, hey, uh, hey, everyone, I've got a uh, YouTube channel to check out. And the first thing they see is, hey, you can get your long rubbery toys over at <laughs> adamandeve.com. Oh, my. Uh, is, is that like a, a common thing? I I don't even know how we got on this conversation. Mitch, what the fuck YouTubes do you watch? What? I mean, Adam and Eve, I do <laughs> no, no. like ads sometimes, but I was asking him about it. You're kind of outing yourself here. Like I, I follow a couple, a couple of dudes. Like I, I, I follow Isaiah. I've you know like Mike, Brandon, and a couple others. I don't think I've ever seen an Adam and Eve ad on well, fucking YouTube. Who do you who do you follow? What content are you watching? Wouldn't take it for even a billion dollars. That's why you don't see it. That they yeah, were my first. That. They were my. I appreciate that. They, they were my first offer I ever received. I remember I was. Uh, this was right after the disturbing movie iceberg. I probably had in the neighborhood of like 40,000 subs, 40, 50,000, something like that. And they sent me an offer. I think it was for $1,100, if I recall correctly. 
That was the first offer I ever received, and I turned it down. And then a week or two later, the first offer I ever took was for keeps. And a, a lot of these contracts, I'm not allowed to mention uh, how much I made specifically because there's like a contract. They don't want YouTubers to know what rates are being offered to others, blah, blah, blah. But keeps has definitely been long enough that I can talk about it. Uh, it was $1,200. So the first I'd ever took was for keeps the hair loss company. And it went on my Ant Hill kids video, which was over a year ago at this point uh, for 1200 bucks. So that was the first offer I ever received. It was around the 50 K mark, something like that. Um, so that's whenever I started getting ads outside of YouTube, I had been making ad revenue off of just videos, but that was the first time an outside company contacted me directly. Right. So I see a lot of stuff going on now where YouTube is kind of disconnected from the content creator and monetization in general and ad reads and also like copyright claims. A lot of companies are just blanket copyright claiming and then it kind of fucks the creator even if there's like a couple seconds being used have you had any experience with with youtube and how has that been for you <laughs> oh boy have i uh <laughs> i have caused a lot of trouble for them i hope uh from what it seems like because every time something happens, okay, so th this is the system. Are, are you either of you all familiar with like what it's like to upload videos and like deal with the whole YouTube side? Um, I'm not personally uh, familiar with no. it, but I do follow a lot okay. of people that no, talk no, about I. it and they talk about their problems with okay, it. Okay, okay. All right. So essentially, whenever you upload a video, there's a new thing that they put in place because so many people like me were complaining where you list the issues that your video may have quote unquote so things like violence uh firearms drugs sexual anything like that and you essentially put it on a scale of one to three like what the content in the, there's going to be and if it's a one in any of these categories it's still able to be monetized that's fine if it's a two then if i recall correctly it will not be monetized, but it won't be restricted. And if it's a three, the video's age restricted. I believe that's how it works. Uh, I've never had a video that I have willingly said is a two or a three. So I'm not sure the difference between them, but I think the difference is demonetization and then a three is age restriction. So the reason they did that is so creators like me who have some depictions of violence in their content like during the waco video there's scenes of the atf shooting at the building stuff like that so yeah. that is a that would be a one on the violence scale right so what that does theoretically is i can come to the video when i upload it and i can say all right for whoever's reviewing this i understand that there will be some violence it's a one but there will be some violence uh because supposedly what was happening is all of these videos were getting pushed in the algorithm to like kids and like people who watch Minecraft content and there would be like oh. violence or something like that. So it's supposed to help with the algorithm. I don't know if that's how it actually works, uh, but I can tell you by experience, it doesn't do jack. <laughs> None of these systems do at all what they're supposed to. So <laughs> what, what ends up happening is I will meticulously go through and rate all of the disturbing content, like controversial issues is a one, uh, zero on sexual stuff, it's a one on violence, whatever. And I'll do all of that, 
and then I'll upload it. And then within hours, some person who works at YouTube about half the time will come through my video and demonetize it. Um, but they will look at it and they will flag the dumbest stuff. Sometimes I think it's just backward reasoning. My LA, my video about the LA shootout was yeah the North North Hollywood. Yeah, sorry, yeah the North Hollywood shootout. I literally just watched that. It was pretty good. Oh, cool! Thank you very much. I appreciate nice. that. Um, the, that video about the North Hollywood shootout was demonetized, and I believe the thing that they said as an example was one of the clips from the overhead camera that aired on ABC news. And they said that that was not suitable for advertisers, which is a joke in itself. The idea that a news broadcast is not suitable for advertisers. Um, What the hell? So for those that don't know the way it works is if your video gets demonetized, then you better hope you have a following because if there's literally nothing on the creator side to help, you can request what's called a manual review, but that's literally someone else looks at the video is like, yeah, it's demonetized sucks. And like, that's it. That's all the information you get. So what you have to do is you have to go to Twitter and you have to complain and at team YouTube support and then hope enough people make a stink and enough people in the replies are like, this is stupid. I hate YouTube, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and if enough people do it, you get your money back. They'll flip it back. But if not, they just don't care. They're not focused on it. And through complaints, I have turned over nearly every demonetization I've received. But it's the fact that like, all right, here's my video. It's up for a few hours. It's making money. And then for a 12-hour period of time, it's making no money on the views it receives during the most important time of growth, of course. And yeah. then I have to go complain to everyone, all of my followers, and hope that YouTube gets worried enough that they flip the money back on. And like every time I get conflicting reports for why something is allowed or not allowed on the site, I have sent – you can send a support email – that usually never works, but I have sent a support email and then they've sent a reply explaining why my content can absolutely not be monetized. And then the Twitter robot sends me a DM about how my content's monetized. Like there's no communication. They're all on a different page and it's all nebulous. Like I make a video and I'm just like, well, here's a Hail Mary. Let's hope this one. <laughs> is in. Um, it, it's kind of ridiculous, which is why. A lot of YouTubers will opt to focus on outside advertisement because those guys are surefire. That's a contract you sign with a brand to make money. Um, and thankfully, I've been in a I've been blessed enough to be in a position where I have been able to turn over everything, and I've been able to make most of the money I should be making from my videos that I don't have to solely rely on advertisers. But I know a lot of YouTubers who just like are convinced every video they do is going to get demonetized. So they just focus on advertisers because YouTube's not going to help. So that was a little long winded, but that's the, that's basically the gist of it. That's crazy that YouTube, because I know some YouTubers have like reps. Um, I don't know at what point you get a rep. Do you have a rep at YouTube? Yeah. So it's called the YouTube partnership program. Um, And I have ignored it forever i i got offered that i can do it 
they started doing the program, I think, like a year ago. It's it's not been around that long. So I got I was big enough at the time that as soon as they started the program, I got an offer and I was just like, no. Uh, <laughs> because the, <laughs> the idea of talking to someone else at youtube one more person than i have to what would have driven me crazy um and from what experience i've heard they don't have it's not that they're like bad people or anything they just don't have a lot of power like everyone i've heard who talks to their rep the rep's just like oh well i'll see if i can help with that like you know you're it's essentially tech support um and I, I had never considered it until this last string of demonetizations I got. The Waco video and the uh, McKamey Manor video got demonetized back to back. So I asked, I asked customer support and they're like, oh, talk to your YouTube partner manager. So I'm like, all right, just to say that I've covered all the bases, I'm going to apply to the YouTube partnership program. Just, just so... In the future, I can say I've tried every option before I start yelling about it on social media because that seems to be the only way that works. So I'm like, all right. So I applied for the program. And when I finished the application, it said, all right, we will contact you in a few months. So <laughs> I guess. Here's hoping. We, we've heard like kind of good things about people who have been unfairly treated by YouTube who have used their partners. Like mm, surprisingly yeah. good things that we probably shouldn't, you know, say publicly or here right 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 Understood. like we've heard of some veritable miracles being pulled off somehow i have heard the best success because like guys in my stream i haven't heard that many great things about that's where it's more so like tech support however i have heard that they have done great things for gun tubers yes like yes because i've talked to some of the like a few guys to my knowledge like Grantham was just getting no money for a while yeah. like youtube's just like nope 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 this isn't happening but then uh i understand maybe not him specifically but a lot of youtubers started to get monetization back because they would approve their videos through the partnership program um so that like it, it, it's interesting because i don't know how they have power with that I guess it's all dependent on like emotions and like whatever YouTube's feeling at the time, because if YouTube decides that, um, if YouTube decides that gun content isn't allowed, but then someone can convince them of it, it's like, okay, well, can someone convince them that I can talk about Waco? Like what, <laughs> why can't that be an option? Uh, it, it's frustrating how like it, it's all nebulous it's not like there's a direct line or wall for it. It's kind of like, well, we feel this way, which like if I like I said, if I talk to two different customer service guys, I'll get two different answers. Um, so it's all just a shot in the dark, which is why I'm very thankful for my sponsors who make it to where I can still profit off a of video, even if YouTube doesn't let me. So that's very appreciated. No, that that, that is really good. I don't. And I, I would imagine it's one of those things, too, where the rules only ever get tighter and they never get looser yeah uh one second i'm going to it sounds like someone's running a weed whacker in my living room uh, i think someone just started <laughs> mowing their lawn outside i'm gonna go close the windows <laughs> do we um do we tell them that that's the swat stack <laughs> well so i've heard similarly not just gun people uh that their youtube rep has been very very beneficial in general so i i kind of hope that that's the case for you if you get accepted into the program 
I've also heard similarly to what you described though as well, where they're just kind of fucking useless. It's like, yeah, tell them about the problem and then like, we'll see what happens. And the reason I kind of asked yeah. about that as well, we just got re- reached out to by Patreon um, to have a rep and join mm. their partnership program. I don't know how YouTube's is, mm. but we were looking at it and it's like, there is no direct benefit for us and all the benefit is for you. Like the benefit for us is that we have somebody directly at Patreon we can talk to, but we don't have any problems like with Patreon, like, like YouTubers do. Mm. Like there's no problem to complain about. It's really simple. We post stuff there and then they pay us out. Sure. They take a bigger cut than I would like, but I mean, we post there, they pay us out. That's about it. But I imagine for Mm. YouTube, when things come to like, uh, monetization, um, you know, content, um, getting taken down or whatever, having that rep could be really good if they're a good rep or if they have the power and the means to actually be a good rep. Um, and I'm sure that like, you know, like some of the huge YouTubers like Mr. Beast or like PewDiePie or people like that have like their own, like that's like gold star tier level of like, you have a pull here. You can do something if you if you try. Maybe not as much as we think, but well, I mean, guys like that are in a whole. It's not even a different caliber. It's a different classification, right? Like they are up there. Mr. B specifically, I think if he wanted something to happen at YouTube, it would happen. Uh, which sometimes those guys, uh, like I, I like Mr. Beast, everything I know about him. Um, but like sometimes those guys have been known to use their weight for benefit. Like they'll uh, complain and something will get changed. I think it was, I'm not sure who specifically. Uh, it may have been someone related to like H3H3, that whole side of it, which regardless of how you feel about him, I think I, he was the one who started or he complained enough to start the content uh, rating system to where I can go through and say that all I'm going to have a one for violence. I'm going to have a one, blah, 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 all that, which um, supposedly has helped some of my videos from getting taken down or flagged because the reviewer enters knowing that there will be some level of adult stuff talked about. Um, and I imagine that means the algorithm doesn't peddle it to kids, hopefully, uh, but who knows? Hopefully. Hopefully, I can't. Speak this about podcast that. brought to you by Adam and Eve. Use code <laughs> ARDEMWAR10 to take $10 off your fleshy thing. That, that, that's a joke. Don't, don't try that code. It probably won't work. If it does work, it's not us. What is funny about Adam and Eve is they understand that most people don't want to describe their products in detail for obvious <laughs> reasons. So, like, when you get most of your scripts from a company, it's like pages, like mention this, talk about this, detail this, and whatever. Um, Adam and Eve script is like, say there is a 15% discount code in the description. That's it. That, that, that. I, I just <laughs> imagine, like my, my, my fucking stupid poisoned brain imagines one of your videos. Imagine like the Anthill Kids. It's, it's like you're talking about... So there was a cult, the, you know, rape, murder, incest, all horrible, horrible things. By the way, use code Wendigoon, 15% off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Um, There's memes about it, especially with like, quote unquote, true crime YouTubers, which some of my stuff leans into. 
Uh, yeah. I, tr- I try to say more on like the investigative esoteric side of it, but naturally the two get close. Um, yeah. Th- there's memes about it. Like true crime YouTubers are like, this family was brutally murdered. We're going to take a shout out from Skillshare today. Skillshare is the prim- <laughs> um, which it kind of has to be. So I've just embraced it with most of my stuff. Yeah. If I understand it's going to be a breakneck turn, I try to make it comedic. Yeah. So if uh, So if I'm, for example, talking... And I'm like, um, so if that sounds interesting to you, stick around as we're going to get into the tragedy of the Wayland murders or whatever. And then it'll cut to me like, but do you know what else is a tragedy? Having your personal information stolen while browsing the <laughs> internet. And the stalker had such a good... Uh, um, had such an easy do- job, you know, tracking her down because she didn't use NordVPN. Yes, <laughs> maybe not that far, but <laughs> definitely in a similar vein. Like, I know it's going to be goofy. I know it's going to be weird, so I might as well embrace it. Like, yeah. I, you're not going to power through it and make it cool, right? You're, you just got to embrace the corn at some point. Um, yeah, like people get it. I, I think, like, you are creating effectively free content especially if you're demonetized like people know you have to be able to put fucking food on your table at least most people do i would hope yeah yeah most people are chill with it most people understand um more so where i hear the criticisms of it are whenever it's well generally someone who's just disliked but for the most part whenever someone who is disrespectful in other regards also doesn't like i haven't well, I'm sure I've received criticism, but I haven't received a lot of criticism or any that I've noticed um, that I, against me doing advertisements on videos. But I have heard them against YouTubers who will like, I'm not going to say any specific names, but there are YouTubers who will do like mukbangs. You know what those are? That's the one where they just fucking eat a ton they of eat food. A, right? They eat a ton of food, right? So there yeah. was this thing going around for a while. It was true crime mukbangs. So it was, so it would be like what the fuck? <laughs> it would be like people eating a ton of food and being like, yeah. So her kid was raped. This is really good papaya or whatever. It's just like <laughs> the, like the most gruesome stuff as they're eating. It's just uh, like both full of noodles. Like you were st- found stabbed forty seven times. Like <laughs> you, you jest, but that's literally what it was like most of the time. I, then I. I haven't seen any of it recently, but it's that kind of people who are already like have a very critical eye on them for doing stuff like that, who people get mad at because they take ads. Because like as they're talking, they're like, oh, well, thank you, uh, NordVPN for sponsoring. <laughs> just, just like downs a, a fucking glass of soju. <laughs> like, you want to expand your business with space? Like bro it's I, I remember looking at some of that because that was before the, like the big wave of that was before i started youtube and i remember watching some of that and being like this is a dystopia <laughs> this is <laughs> bizarre like, the industrial revolutions cost- <laughs> 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 a disaster stuff makes me so grateful that our sponsors do not give us like awful Oh my god! I uh, I I wonder if Vanessa w- listens. I does. do. I I don't know. I love her. She She's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, she yeah. does. Oh my god! Shout out, big shout outs. 
wonderful, wonderful human. Yeah, our sponsors. I just te- oh. I text her memes at like three o'clock in the morning sometimes. and it's weird every sponsor that we've had they'll reach out and like i talk to them and i'm like hey like do you do you want like anything mentioned they're like no we like how you guys do it just talk about it and then like however it happens so we've been super fortunate because we've talked with other um, content creators other podcasters or just like people on like youtube and they're all like yeah they give you a script you have to say it and you can't say certain things but with us with us it's been very like yeah, just talk about it. Say whatever you guys feel about it. Be true. Be honest. We think that's, you know, the most effective thing. And I'm super grateful because it doesn't seem like that's the norm. So shout out to all of our current and past sponsors that have been fucking dope. Thank you. Yeah. A, a, a lot well, of, uh, as a side note, right. uh, as part part of our deal, uh, you will get a, a war belt from Advanced Warfighting Solutions. And they're pretty dope. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Thank you, Advanced Warfighting Solutions. Yeah, that's so awesome. You just got to reach out to them. I, ne- um, and be like, I needed a new war belt. That's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Oh, dude, they're, they're great. I, I used mine yesterday and last Very week. cool. And, nice. Yeah, no, it's Mitch wore his in Afghanistan. It's yep. great. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you yeah, very much. It's a, um, a cool thing for all of our guests. But it's, and like I said, all of our sponsors are cool like that. They're dope. So. I'm very grateful. But, you know, the other thing is, the counter to that, while all of our sponsors are super dope and we're very, very, very grateful for them, we see that the people that get the scripts are usually the ones that get the money. And we get we get money, mm. but it's not like... Well, there's a lot of Fuck us that we have, to, we have to pay. There's a lot of expenses that comes with doing this. So it's more of like a passion project still that has potential yeah. for something. But for you, when you decided to start doing what you were doing on YouTube... Was it more of like, hey, I'm going to do this. I know there's potential for this. Um, we're going to make some money. Or is it like, I uh, just enjoy the shit, so we're going to do it? Um, So I never had aspirations of getting 10,000 subscribers. Like that was an impossible number for me. Um, and keep in mind, I started like just over a year ago. So this has been a lot uh, in a good way, in a good way. But I was in college. Uh, I, I talked a bit with Nathan about this, but I was in college. I was going for a pre-med biology degree. Uh, I had decided earlier that this just was not what I wanted to do. I did not like the people. I did not like the, um, not like my classmates. I mean, like the professions, the professional people in it. I did not like those people. I did not like uh, the environment, did not like the study. I was just like, this is not fun. I'm not enjoying this. So in my head, I began to think of ways that I could essentially get out. Now, I wasn't just going to drop out and, you know, live on a prayer. I knew better than that. So I had, I had a massive interest in YouTube. I had been interested in, um, I'd watch YouTube forever. I used to and still do watch it more than like TV or movies or anything like that. And I knew a lot about the platform. So I said, I could maybe get a little bit of success on the site and not enough to like support me financially. I knew that was out of the question, but here we are. Um, Maybe it would be enough to just like hold me over until something happens. Because at the same time, I was writing short stories a lot. I still do. Um, I would write horror stories or other pieces of fiction. Um, and I was thinking, okay, maybe if I like, cause originally before YouTube, I had a 
Instagram account called Wendigoon where I would post short stories. And I got a decent following of like 8,000 people or more over there. Um, so I was doing that and I was like, all right, I'm going to make a YouTube channel to make content essentially as a backup for the Instagram account, which is funny to think about now where it's like, uh, all right, I'll talk about, uh, like I had a couple podcasts with friends talking about horror movies and stuff that are now unlisted, just like random stuff like that. And I had what a hundred subs maybe. And the Instagram account got deleted because what I did is every one of my videos, well, I would take a picture and I would post a short story under it. And every picture I posted would have music overlaid, like copyrighted music. So every single of my, one of my posts would get flagged and eventually my account was deleted. So now I'm like, oh no, my Instagram, what will I ever do? So that forced me to go to my 100 sub account. And I just started spitballing. I did some um, gun tuber related content. I did some uh, video game playthroughs. I did just everything that I could think of. And then the first video that kind of pushed me on the direction I'm at now is I'm just going to go jump to the end to make sure I'm saying this right. I have my uh, YouTube studio pulled up as I'm scrolling, which I've been all the way at the end and I've given it a panic attack. The first video that picked up any traction uh, was I did a video about local 58, which is this online horror series which yes. uh, it sounds, it sounds oh, like you're I familiar love it. with it. I yes. love Local 58 too. Yeah, it's the same. That. Like, I, I will be the first person to admit, I don't really watch YouTube. Like, you, you said names like Mr. Beast and H3H3, and it's like, I've heard the names. I have no idea who the fuck they are. Like, I, I follow people I know. I've You, PSR, like Mike, Garantham, Brandon, like the gun right. tube people, but not really anyone else. Other than like the weird and some some of them through your bitch. recommendation actually, what? Because you're a bitch. Because I <laughs> because I go outside, Mitch. Fuck you. Uh, same thing. Same thing. Me yeah. and Mitch know. <laughs> <laughs> um, like local fifty eight and those weird alternate horror sort of like augmented reality stuff. Um, I, I love that. I live for that shit. Oh, I, um, I love it too. That stuff's fantastic. I was into yeah. that way before I started YouTube. So yeah. as I'm spitballing content, and if you look at the layout of content, you can see that the gun tuber tier list and then playing Black Ops 1 and then a movie analysis. Um, and then like me and a friend watching a movie, right? Then I decide to do a video about Local 58. And I remember that video had 40 one views it was like 41 or 42 views in a week and at the time i was like this is monumental (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm really making it 40 people watch this that's insane to give you context right now that video has 1.2 million views Um, holy shit so i was like all right i I like doing creepy stuff so i'll creep i'll keep doing more creepy stuff so i did a video about why i like the lighthouse movie i did a video about the stairs in the woods And I slowly geared myself towards that until eventually I did a video about the conspiracy theory iceberg. And that was the one that made the channel go, oh no, Um, that and other iceberg. Did you start the iceberg trend? I know that was a big thing. I, uh, it was a thing when I started, I, I remember when I did the conspiracy theory iceberg, there was a video by blame it on Jorge 
posted a couple months before about the lost media iceberg that one and the super mario iceberg are the two that like kicked everything off i forget who did the super mario video um but those two videos like started it and then i kind of i guess helped put the foundation up for it because for a while iceberg trends were the thing that was the way to get views um so the conspiracy theory iceberg did well so then i did a star wars iceberg that did pretty well and then i did a um i did an scp iceberg but then the video that set off my channel was february the 18th of last year 2021 uh and it was the disturbing movie iceberg and I that one, saw that and ah, then watched cool. most of them. Very uh, <laughs> evil. <laughs> it, it was a pretty <laughs> fucked, uh, fucked couple of weeks with some friends. Oh, um, it sure is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> those, those like flowers of flesh and blood and all that. Oh, I'm uh, yeah. No, I, I I like horror movies. I like things that make me feel disturbed. There's a certain level where I'm just like I feel dirty. I, I feel dirty. There's not enough, I don't know, soju in the world to make this go away. <laughs> no, I like 100% agree. Um, like that stuff is beyond horror. It's just like sadism at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not a fan of it. Uh, but I did that video because that's something everyone has an interest in, right? Like how yeah. deep does the rabbit hole go? I think I also afforded myself a lot of benefits in the beginning where I'm like, everyone knows Salo. That's like the disturbing yeah. movie in disturbing movie crowds. I'm like, Salo is on tier three of eight. And from the comments, yeah. that seems to be the hook that got most people to watch the video. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just made that video and it hit a million views in a week, which Jeez. like I was freaking out because the conspiracy theory iceberg was getting like a thousand or 2000 views in a week. Yeah. And then I, I, I distinctly remember I posted the, I, I was still going to school. And I'd pulled into my 8 a.m. class and my video about the disturbing movie Iceberg, the day I uploaded it, had uploaded from the night before. And I remember sitting in the parking lot, being late to class, making the thumbnail. Like, I use a meme app to make my thumbnail still. I'm dragging the <laughs> images over. I'm, like, putting the not safe for work thing. And I'm sitting there late for class so that I can make this thumbnail for the disturbing movie Iceberg. And I get it finished and I upload it. Exactly one week later, I was setting in that same parking lot for the same class. And I was refreshing the page over and over because the video had like 999,900 whatever views. So I'm just refreshing it waiting. And then I remember sitting there and seeing it go to 1M, the first million views I ever hit. And that was the moment where I thought to myself, I can do this. If I, if I focus on this, I can do this. Um, and I did a lot of it the wrong way, I admit. I, I like totally let... I went hell Mary. I let school slip to the side and my grades slip to the side to hyper focus on it. But I now would not change what I did because I'm in the position I'm in. Hell yeah. And, and but that was the moment like um, Mitch had asked, like, when did you decide that it was a thing? That moment sitting in that parking lot being late for class was like, I can do this. And here I am now. So I'm very happy I did. <laughs> And you made it through a bit of pre-med, so I think similarly to Mike, you are also legally are a doctor in New Jersey. <laughs> Perfect. I think most people who graduated high school are a doctor in New Jersey. <laughs> so I've seen a couple of your videos without ever realizing like who you were. 
um, you know, it, it kind of just gets recommended because every so often I'll hit like icebergs for like certain movies or like I need something explained to me. And I had come across your stuff just before. The amount, the attention to detail is something that I wanted to know first, but how much time and effort do you specifically put into these things and where where do you get the information that you do is it kind of like like reddit you scour reddit you talk to other people do you have like a community of people you go to and you refer to is it just you just theorizing like like where does all of it come from Uh, i appreciate the mention of attention to detail that means a lot uh for one so when it comes to topics the the vast majority of it is just because i'm a weird guy uh, <laughs> I, I have a lot of weird hobbies and interests and naturally it like leads me down the road of that like honestly the majority of the topics i've talked about on the channel are stuff i was interested in before i started youtube right i always watch the arg stuff and sure new arg series have popped up and i've covered them since i've been on youtube but that's always been a topic i've been interested in same with a lot of the stuff related to history or a lot of the concepts of like um horror, horror related content and all of that it's just did you get there nathan <laughs> yeah could you hear that? i'm so sorry that came out. uh it was funny um <laughs> anyway i should have no, muted no, no, i should have muted don't. it's it's hilarious um <laughs> it, anyway so i kind of um just started talking about stuff i was interested in and there's a few ideas that i got i I have a subreddit that people just post stuff they like and there's been a couple times i've seen something there that's interested me a couple of times that people have sent me an email regarding the topic that's led to research that got me into it uh the boys from the track the boys on the tracks video was actually from an email uh, that i wasn't aware of the case until someone told me about it and then i began to look into it um so there's a few topics like that, but for the vast majority of them, it's just stuff that I'm into and know about. A lot of topics I will discover while researching another topic. For example, my last video about um, the Battle of Castle Itter, that was from research I was doing on another World War II thing. I was researching spies and espionage of World War II, and there was a sentence in a parentheses at the end of a paragraph that said this is in contrast to the battle of castle itter in which americans and germans fought together and i was like the the, the what (laughs) so i was like what is this so i look it up and that spiraled into me making the video about it so a lot of my stuff i will find out about while i'm looking for other stuff (laughs) or it's just weird content that i've already hyper focused in so it's varied I, I love that. I haven't seen that yet, but like th- that description alone, the Americans and the Germans fought together against who? Uh, other Germans. Uh, so it was it was at the tail huh. end of the war, and there was a group of French VIPs that were housed in a castle in Austria, um, and they didn't have a way out. So they sent someone to go get help, and he came across the the person who went to get help came across a defected Wehrmacht major uh, who was previously a Wehrmacht major he had fought for the entire war on the german side and at the end of the war after hitler died he became disillusioned and decided to start helping the austrian freedom fighters who were in austria resisting um the germans so this french vip comes to him and says hey there's people trapped in a castle so the major doesn't have the resources to 
help out. He only has 20 soldiers with him. So he decides to go to the Americans. So he walks to the American lines holding a white flag and essentially says, there's a castle full of French people we need to save. So the Wehrmacht major and his 20 Wehrmacht soldiers joined with an American tank battalion. And for a battle that lasted 24 hours, they held out on the castle walls fighting against SS troops who were trying to take the castle. So. Holy yeah. shit. Pretty wild story. I'm going to watch but, that later. It's it's yeah. such a wild story. See stuff like that, right? Like I come across stories like that and I'm like, this is cool. I want to talk about it. And that's pretty much how all of them go. Uh, you also asked about how long research is. I'd say for like the majority, 70% of my topics, uh, it's like a week because it's normally like a few days dedicated to research. And research isn't just reading about it online. It's watching, um, if it's related to the news, it's watching news segments or interviews with the people mentioned. It's uh, reading stuff tangential to it or about other people related to the case or whatever it is. So about three or four days of research. Recording normally takes a day because I don't write scripts. So every time I talk on camera, I essentially wait for a long amount of time before I say something and kind of like short ride in my head as I do it. So my recording sessions are very long because of that, the recordings like a day. And then depending on if I or my editor do it, it's like two or three days to edit. So about a week. Uh, that being said, if a topic is expansive <laughs> and the research goes long, I, I can take weeks if i so choose with some of this stuff uh the mckamey manor video and the boys on the tracks are the ones that come to mind both of those are things like the mckamey manor video was pretty much hours of me watching people get tortured which was fun but like the boys on the tracks video it's like all right here's this name mentioned in the case i need to do hours of research dedicated to what this person did here's another name mentioned in the case gotta do research into what that guy did and it was like all these branching paths that I had to throw together into one narrative. Um, but it just depends on the topic. Typically, I'd say a week, but it, it can definitely be more. So you're having to go through and watch like old news, read old papers, maybe, and just find as much information as you can and then piece together. And then people and then, like you said in the beginning, like you are a trusted resource it makes me think about like when I was, you know, a little bit younger, I learned a lot about, you know, this probably isn't the most accurate thing. But when I was a kid, I remember learning a lot about significant battles and wars in World War Two through like Call of Duty, like the original mm. Call of Duties, not like the ones now. And that's kind of where I learned like Battle of the Bulge. Um, I learned like how the Russians treated their, their own people. So having kind of that resource like that i mean i'm not saying like your call of duty i think you're a lot more historically accurate than call mm -hmm. of duty ever was but the significance of something that is entertaining and also informative without a clear bias is incredibly valuable to a lot of people it's you know i, I i'm sure have, have you ever made like mistakes in your videos that you like go back and correct or is it more just like you acknowledge like um you know somebody who is equally deep deep into it like a topic like i imagine star wars people when you made the star wars <laughs> video you must have pissed off some people but also like brought some people into it I, if i just had to think of like the star wars fandom in general they are very like you could never do enough research to please them uh, oh my god no it's <sighs> No. Have you had something yeah. where it's like, uh, 
like go back and or maybe something that you just stood by your own you're like no fuck these people like i know what i saw so for i'm very careful before i say something to make sure that it is i mean like obviously with conspiracy related content it's not you know like on a dot gov website user verified right but i make sure that every claim i make is reputable or there's like background information to it and when it comes to something like star wars i don't for one that was early on in the channel and i wasn't as good as research then as i am now um and i did i think i did get some stuff wrong in the star wars iceberg but also it's star wars right like i'm not gonna freak out and be worried because i pronounced some general from the legends comics names wrong um so for the most part if there's a mistake I just do not never address it. Uh, the biggest, I guess, mistake I ever made, and this is the only mistake that I have ever corrected in a future video, because everything else, like if I pronounce a name wrong or if I get a date wrong or whatever, the comments are going to let you know it doesn't matter that much. Uh, and like I said, I try for the most part to where I can pretty confidently say 99% of the information I say is what I meant to say. However, the one time that I have mentioned a mistake in a future video was actually during the disturbing movie Iceberg. So at the end of that video, when I get, I get to tier eight, and this wasn't so much of like I got info wrong as I misspoke. I said on tier eight, while, while I was discussing movies, I said, and also whatever you do, don't go looking for this stuff as most of it is completely illegal, right? What I meant to say is that whenever you find this stuff, you will be on websites that contain illegal material and illegal stuff around it. Um, so what I had accidentally implied is that anyone who watches these movies is essentially watching uh, illicit materials or potentially CP in some cases and stuff like that, which is not what I meant to apply. And supposedly people on that side, because there's like a whole community dedicated to like disturbing films and Mondo films and stuff like that. Supposedly me saying that caused a bunch of guys who made movie reviews of these or like YouTubers who were like, yeah, I watched this movie like um, faces of death or whatever. Like I watched this Mondo film. Here's what I thought about it. Apparently a bunch of them were getting bombarded with comments of people saying like you're a sick pervert for doing this you're doing this wrong mm -hmm. and that's like the only again knock on wood to my knowledge the only mistake i've made that has led to something as awful as that of people essentially getting uh, accused of a crime they didn't do um so that that was like my big misstep in saying that however well how do i want to phrase this a lot of the material on that bottom tier is in fact illegal if it's real like so, like some of it like a uh, R34 which i don't think is a real movie um is supposedly like a movie containing cp and a few of the others are ones that i know at least contain audio from cp which is sick in itself so like there were a bunch of people who were very gung-ho in that video like you nathan people are like yeah i'll watch all these uh <laughs> yeah not, not all of them but like a good 
enough to know what uh what yeah, to not it keeps, watch it keeps getting worse the further you go down that yeah it, it kept getting worse i think at the august underground is where i'm like nope, yeah I'm, yeah I'm tapping yeah that, and that was only like what tier four or something of eight like the, yeah. the, those movies were insane um a, a lot yeah. of people think i didn't watch them i did see at least clips from all of them um i i however yeah. was not going to mention that in detail on youtube for multiple yeah, reasons no, I can't blame um, you it's like I'll, I'll stick with the a24 uh, yeah, i'm movies, good i really with... like jordan peele yeah I think, I think that's a good line for yeah me. same uh, oh my oh my god i'm super excited to see nope. his new movie uh, i haven't nope. seen it either but i've yeah. only heard good things so i'm excited for it yeah likewise i, I hear it's like less horror more more like yeah, artsy, yeah. and i'm okay with that I'm, oh, I'm i, I okay fully trust him at this point to do whatever he yeah. wants uh but to, yeah it's like you're good. Go ahead. Sorry, go go ahead. I, I was going down. I was going to go down like an artistic. That's movie a, we'll, we'll do that in just um, a second. I do want to finish this thought though. Yes. So, whenever I said that, I was I knew people would hear the movies again, like yourself, and want to go watch some of them. So I was hyper afraid of people coming across a lot of the stuff in the bottom tier, as well as a lot of the material adjacent to it, which is why I'm like, all right, I need to scare them away. Which is why I was like, don't look at it. It's illegal. And I didn't mean for that to affect creators who were essentially doing the same thing I was doing, you know, like talking about these disturbing films. Uh, And in a video after that, I was like, this was a mistake. I'm sorry. I did not mean to imply this. Uh, Please do not harass other people. But I was still learning. And uh, not that that's an excuse for, you know, causing grief to other people. But I didn't know how to properly set those boundaries or explain myself. And that that was my like mistake, I would say. Uh, but other than that, I'm pretty I'm pretty fine with what I've thrown out there, as long as the Clintons don't kill me. <laughs> yeah. It's go- going to happen eventually. It's it's eventually, like uh, yeah, it'll happen. It's like you, you say the you acknowledge the Wendigo too many times, and the that's how you invite the Wendigo. I think Hillary Clinton's similar. If you say her name too many times, she shows up and makes you commit suicide by shooting you twice in the back of the head. She's I'm, almost I'm definitely a cryptid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that there are people who can kind of deep dive and like bring awareness to this stuff. But for me, I know like just watching like Law and Order SVU, like any of the kids episodes, depress the living fuck out of me. Oh, like, say avoid yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I know. Um, I just read The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Oh, gonna... oh, yeah. Are you working your way through my uh my book list? I am. Um, oh, that's very and... kind. I'll I'll read the Tower of Pooh and Piglet next. I promise. <laughs> Thank you. The spoilers for anybody listening if you don't want to just skip ahead like 15 seconds there's this one point in that book where and i have a and i have a newborn or okay well br just tell them when to skip um if they don't want the spoiler in that book um i i'm just i'm looking forward to br's little cute voice being like and now if you would not like i I can't do his accent Hey, what's up, gang? It's BR, producer and editor of the show, and uh, I guess I'm doing a voiceover for this. Uh, thank you, Nathan. So, if you've been living under a rock and haven't so much as seen the movie The Road or read the book, uh, if you want to avoid spoilers, skip from between 55 minutes and 44 seconds to 1 hour, 2 minutes, and 41 seconds. But, yeah, maybe just go and read the book. We'll see the movie. Whatever. Um, no, 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 read the book. Too many people watch the movies these days. Dumbing us down. Get your nose in a book. Um, anyway, that's all I've got for you. So, uh, oh, 
and fuck the ATF and the IRS. And the FBI is a terrible... But the, the one part in the book, you have both of you have read it, correct? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. No, I've read all of Cormac the, McCarthy. The Road is my favorite novel ever. Okay, oh. so... Oh, how, how about that? That's, I've it's, read uh, it. In my top ten, that's why I'm making Mitch read it. It's the so only gonna, book um, I've ever reread. Only one. So, so I reread it, too, back to back. I read it three times in the span of two days. Wow. Um, and I won't say it's my favorite book because it's... I would I would be lying, but it was very, it was very depressing. And I have a I have a newborn. I have, she's eleven months now. And when I read the part about like the infant being found on like the spit, I was like, mm, like yeah. that, like for days. That's all I could like, not all I could think about, but like it legitimately like depressed the living fuck out of me. Which is I think is his point of that book. It's a very depressing book. Um, there's yeah. there's messages and stuff in there. So. Um, the i love the road so much um and yeah, the book, I, I love cormac mccarthy in general oh he's so good um he he actually is from the same town i'm from uh or like within 20 minutes of each other so whenever he mentions locations in the road it's like locations i'm near um but whenever like the entire book is full of some of the most horrific imagery uh put to fiction between that and the uh basement of the limbless people and all of yeah. that like horrific that didn't bother me as much that i'm a bit more like like i'm personally messed up because i consume media like that constantly uh so i read that i'm like ah human meat locker whoa <laughs> um, yeah but the one about the baby is the one that stuck with me not only because of the actual like scene they come across but do you remember right before that how they see the woman yeah it was good oh my word it was great foreshadowing and like i understood that like the cannibals existence and what what he did so well um in terms of writing it's like there's like no build-up it's a very realistic like if this were to happen like i could see these events happening and they don't happen in a sense where like you build up the plot to get to this point it's like no they're just on the fucking road they're going through a house and they come across a human meat locker like there's mm-hmm. no like real build up i guess the kid was like we shouldn't be here papa you know and all that yeah. but like it wasn't it wasn't anything like oh we stalked these people they went into the house they left so we're going to go check it out and we found a human it's very much like we need supplies so we're going to go in there yeah um, yeah and then they come across that and like the human like the infant thing i was just like it really made me think like i had to pause at that each time that i reread it and i I had to think i'm like the psychology of the mom right like has to be so fucked because it's like a decapitated infant on a spit and i was like holy fuck this is a hard fucking world but people i can very like in that situation and the setting and the plot in that book, I can see humanity getting to that point. So I saw why he did it. And like, I know he's not doing it just to be like grotesque. I feel like there's some people who make things just to be like as grotesque as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it was just that book legitimately fucking depressed me. And that's like the deepest set I've ever went in terms of like, I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it's one of his more depressing. Blood Meridians also. All all of his work is very depressing. I'm not reading any more of his books. Like he is a great author, <laughs> and like yeah. he makes great. And I love the way that he writes. Like I was texting Nathan. I also had to reread it because 
he seems to enjoy run-on sentences, no commas, and using and, which yes. is fine. It just took some time getting used to while reading yeah. it. But his like I can't read I can't read or watch. I I legitimately get depressed for like a couple of days after that. I was legitimately just fucking sad. But I kept yeah. rereading the book because I'm like, there's so much in here I have to digest, and I feel like I have to like absorb it again. Exposure therapy, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I I feel that. Like it, it depressed the hell out of me too, but I, I'm at like a weird point and maybe maybe it's just, you know, my generation. I'm we're so emotionally blown out from just the sheer amount of everything that I, I like media that makes me feel anything. <laughs> Including like <laughs> just like sad, depressed, scared, whatever, because we we're so um, like we've got so much sensory input coming from every direction all the time these days that I'm just numb to it 95% of the time. Like I'll, I'll, I'll watch a movie and I'll be like, Oh, all right. Well, like I, I, I enjoy these practical effects, but I see here how they could have done this better or worse or, but like being overly analytical. Um, I like things that kind of pull me out of that and pull me into the story, even if they are kind of emotionally manipulative. Well, and the reason I brought up that those two experiences, like Law and Order SVU, seeing like yeah. child porn stuff, like that shit, legitimately depresses me. I don't like watching it, but I find myself if I already started, like I have to finish that episode of Law and Order. Yeah. Um, I started the road, and I had to finish it, um, no yeah. matter how disturbing. I even had to re reread it um, for many different reasons, and I know how that affected me just from like reading that and, and watching that. And you deep dive much more grotesque stuff, much more in-depth, much more, you know, bordering that line of is it real or is it not? Yeah. The Anthill Kids, that that's, uh, ooh, that got me. How, how does, does that affect you? Because I know some people, and I don't judge you regardless, um, does that affect you in a negative way? Or are you kind of emotionally numb to it? Because um, I don't think anybody, just anybody, could do what you do. Um I don't well, think I like my that. wife, for example, like I told my wife, she's the one who recommended the book to me. And then I'm like, oh, this mm -hmm. is on Nathan's reading list. So I'm going to go through it. And after I read the book, I told my wife, I'm like, you like, I would not recommend you read this book. It is a great book. Great story. I don't think that you should read it. Um, just because I it, it depressed the living fuck out of me. And my wife is way more um, emotional than I am. And like, I'm like, you shouldn't read this. Uh, you have a daughter. You have an, I, I didn't tell her what happened in case she ever did. I'm like, look, you're, you're going to look over at our daughter and just be depressed for a couple of days, you know, like, just don't do it. So for you, how does that, how does that affect you? Does it at all? Are you one of those people that can consume those things, analyze it from like a logical sense and then be like, okay, yeah, like this is fucked up, but like, I'm not going to be depressed over it. Um, I would say. That it's not that it doesn't affect me because a lot of the time I will let art affect me knowing like I, like I will thrive in the brutality of it because that's what the story wants me to do. Uh, assuming the story deserves it. If it's just like, you know, some shock film, then who cares? But um, I am very good, I feel, at compartmentalizing things. Um, so this kind of came up the other day. I was talking to my mom and my mom was a nurse for a while and she was talking about how some of the families that she came across who had experienced a stillbirth 
and some of the honestly just traumatic responses they experienced um some very odd and honestly kind of creepy behavior that she viewed from them uh years back working in hospitals and when she said that i remembered a video topic that i had planned to cover uh about cyclopia in humans which do not look that up is a how do you spell it <laughs> y'all are awful cyc cyclop cyclopia cyclopia in humans oh yeah. oh this I, what did i tell you yep. <laughs> anyway so now that you got that out of your system, immediately just oh man, I got gotta check this out. Um, anyway, I had planned to cover that a while back, and uh, I looked at some of the stories that were associated with it, and I looked at some of the accounts people had, and obviously the images, and I just looked at that and decided. There is absolutely no way I can cover this for a video. This is way too dark. Uh, I remember, this is very dark, but I remember reading a psychologist. This was like an esteemed psychologist who had like books and a long history working in the field. And he wrote an article about how whenever he started out becoming a doctor, there was a child at the hospital who was born with cyclopia and this is very dark to say he kept trying to think of ways he could kill the child without anyone noticing because it was so horrific and the noises it was making because they couldn't feed it because it's esophagus and it's um um esophagus and trachea had not had not completely separated so any food you gave it would go directly into its lungs and furthermore, like no one wanted to hook it up to like an IV or anything because this child was, if you've seen the images, the child's beyond, you know, capability. Most kids with Cyclopia only live a few hours. Um, and they had just told the parents that the child was stillborn so that the mother wouldn't look at it, uh, which is apparently a thing that happens a lot with these cases. And this psychologist just wrote an entire article about how every day he was thinking about different ways to kill the kid or was hoping that it would starve to death. And eventually, after a few days, the child did starve to death. And it turns out, talking to other people in the hospital, everyone was individually planning a way to kill the kid. Like, it's horrific. Some of, just like, monstrous stories. Uh, and I remember reading that and being like, I can't talk about this on YouTube. This is, this is way too dark. This is way too horrific. But I had completely forgotten about that story until my mom started bringing up stillbirths and i'm like oh yeah i was gonna make a video about baby murder i forgot about that <laughs> so with a lot of the content like nathan's face right now is killing me <laughs> <laughs> it's just this, this last like three minutes has been such a drain <laughs> i just have so many questions about cyclopia now i have yeah, so many it's questions just, we, we've had this conversation on the podcast before about, like, how poison our brains are now. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, the horrific, the horrificness of this, like, when you get an ultrasound, did they not see this happen? Because you get, like, an ultrasound at, like, like, so many different months, and, like, you could see this developing at certain points, and, like... 
So now it's pretty, I don't want to say preventable, but like it's kind of, it's more apparent um, when it's happening because we have tech like ultrasounds. This psychologist story would have been back in like the 70s. Okay. Um, so that was around a time where, yeah, there was prenatal care. But we didn't we, we didn't know exactly what the child would look like before it came out. So the next question is, and I hate to keep interrupting you, but I need good, to I need to think through this. The child is born, uh-huh. and it starves to death. Mm-hmm. At what point is it like inhumane to? Because it starves to death. That's suffering. That is a suffering infant. Like what? do you do can you hook up something to its stomach to like feed it is that moral like that it's such a moral it it is it's a weird area because so we don't know a lot about cyclopia i think the longest a kid ever lived with it was like a month maybe potentially gosh um I, i i'm not sure how long but it is very clear that it is in a constant state of suffering. Um, and this is a detail about the story I didn't mention because it was dark, but since, since we're, since you want to ask more questions about it, um, the psychologist said that the child was being used for experimental procedures or like not experimental for practice procedures. So like, if a child or like a baby, it's done differently now, but back in like the seventies, if a kid's born with six fingers or like a little, you know, nub or whatever, my little brothers were six fingers and six toes. Oh, okay. Like the, did they have them removed or are they? Yeah. They had okay. them removed. So they had, I would have just stayed in X-Men, you know, really shitty superpower, but <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Um, just the like way Fury's going to show up outside your house and recruit you into the Avengers. Sorry, can you? <laughs> I shouldn't make jokes about these things. I'm glad you're having a good time, Nathan. Um, you got to keep it light. The way that they would do it is they would take like string and they would tie it around the extra appendage to babies, and you know circulation would stop and the limb would just fall off. Um, that that was like the old way to do it. So they just started like this kid with Cyclopia. They just started doing that to his random fingers and toes, like just so people could get practice at removing limbs. Oh, because they told the mother it's a stillborn. Uh, yeah, legally the kid does not exist. It, oh the, my god! The mother thinks it's a stillborn. That's even. It does not exist on paper. It is just oh, like a cry. It, it, it. He said it cried nonstop. Uh, but it's just like a crying thing in the hallway. And then, so I read this story. I'm like, this is wild. And then he wrote a follow-up one because as you could imagine, he received some backlash for it. People sending angry emails and stuff over this. And he doubled down in the second entry. He was like, you don't understand. This was not a human. This was not something fit for humanity. This was something like a, uh, an abomination, not saying that it was necessarily the child's fault, but more so just that this was so far removed from human, which I would argue maybe a little zealous. Uh, but like, it was so interesting reading a esteemed doctor justify why this child does not deserve to live. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not even necessarily saying he's wrong in the assertion that maybe the child shouldn't have been made to suffer in the state that it was. 
however the whole part about like let's just cut off some limbs and uh wait for it to starve to death that seems pretty brutal regardless of what your take is like as a parent if i was told my child was stillborn i need to confirm that myself like it's my kid i'm not going to trust anybody to be like yeah your kid's dead and that sounds like a grotesque thing but like i think that's you know, like when they have to like show like the body of somebody to like confirm it's that person. Like yeah. I need that confirmation. And like, I, I don't know if I would let my, I mean, if my wife wanted to, I guess she could, but like, I'd be like, Isabella, like, you don't have to, you don't have to look at like, I will go do it. But yeah. like to have that lie, like, Hey, your kid's stillborn. And then maybe this story comes out and like this hospital comes out. And then like, you're now constantly thinking like, was that my kid? Was that my kid that was like suffering, starved to like Ed is so fucking sad. I understand that it is like just a horrific situation all around. Uh there's no real like there's true. no I, I, yeah. I did not mean to take this podcast to such a depressing route. I'm sorry. Oh no, you're totally <laughs> fine. Well now we have to. Now I I am invested in this. Um but like there's no clean slate this will make everything okay answer um again i feel like the experimental procedures are a little outside of the realms of what's acceptable but it was medicine in the 70s what you gonna do but yeah so anyway the the reason i bring up that horrifically depressing story is you you had asked like how do i do with like traumatic information i had forgot that i learned that stuff until it was mentioned i'm like oh yeah that and then i just like put it back in its box slid it away and just kept going on and um the, what i said earlier about i will let stories get to me uh, a good example of that is the road so like as i'm reading the road i am invested in this world i'm invested in the father and son and all these horrific things that happen around them, I let them get to me. I imagine the horror of that situation because the purpose of the road isn't to just express depressing moments. It is to juxtapose those depressing moments with a father and son trying to make it through this world. Um, specifically, the symbolism that's used throughout the story of carrying the light. We have the fire. We have to carry the fire. And the idea that this son is who's witnessing all these horrific things by the power of his father's teachings can overcome that and learn what righteousness is to such a degree that even without his father by the end of the story whenever he comes across this group of strangers the first question he asks them is are you carrying the fire that teachings that his father gave him were instilled in him and in that the road isn't just a post-apocalyptic story it is a timeless story about instilling good values in those who come after you so that in spite of how terrible the world around him becomes they can continue to be better than everything that happens around them uh and i especially think of that at the end of the story in that epilogue where it talks about how he lives with um the people and it says that he talks to his father every day. Um, and he, it says he, I, I think the wording it uses is he talks to God and sometimes his father speaks back and all of that. And it's that idea that his father and uh, the values that he gave them continue to encourage him, even for things his father wasn't there for. So that while his father's gone, he can continue to be stronger because of that foundation that he had, uh, which 
ties into Cormac McCarthy's other work that I am a huge fan of, No Country for Old Men. Uh, Cormac McCarthy does yes. this thing. That's my favorite movie. Uh, yes. Cormac and McCarthy. A wonderful book. Oh, it's so good. Um, he does this thing where he will take a concept or a principle and he will highlight it in one story to expand on it in another. And the conversation at the end of No Country for Old Men, in my opinion, uh, wherever he's describing the dream and his father carrying the torch, his father bearing that fire is the same symbolism of the road. So it's again, that idea that there are men, there, there's these pragmatic men of history, panergic men who carry forth the fire so that others can follow them and lit the torch for those who come afterwards. So the reason I let the road affect me and depress me is because it's so much more powerful when all of that is canceled out by the fire of a father and his son. So, I just see the wheels in Mitch's head turning. This is why I appreciate your analysis so much and why your channel is just so fucking good. I, I just played with you. his mustache. Like, well, so my book that I read didn't have an epilogue, so I didn't know that. I, ah. thought, they were, I thought they were cannibals that he went oh, to. The, and know, the guys that the boy goes with? Yeah, so like I thought... Like, you know, Not the book around here. like it's kind of just like they, that's how the book was written for the most part. Like random events happen that are tragic and it's just life. Like that's just what happens. Bad things happen. It was a depressing book. So I'm like, OK, boy's father died. And then these cannibals, instead of like being super aggressive, like I need to catch this kid, be bad. They're smart about it. They're like, yeah, so like let's get this kid to trust us that way. It's really easy. There's no struggle. Maybe he's armed. Maybe he's capable. And then we just take advantage of it when his guard is down. Like, that's what I thought happened. Like, they, they no, were no, the, they, uh, whenever they walked up, they had two kids with them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought they and were. And it, it was farming. mentioned earlier in the story that the cannibals don't keep children. Was it? Yeah. Because yep. they said that they um, consume all of the children. Um, so that's why the boy, whenever he saw them with two kids, dropped his guard because he realized this wasn't the same people. Huh. And then, I, the, and then obviously the epilogue where it says he grows and he becomes a part of their family. He talks to his father and all that. It also has my favorite ending, I think, to any book ever. D are you familiar with the epilogue, Nathan? Um, yes, to a degree. I've last so, time I read The Road was six years ago. I've okay, seen the uh, uh, the Viggo Mortensen movie, and I have read it twice. So I, I can say that I do remember it and the fact that he did grow. I couldn't give you specifics. Okay. Nor could I give you such like an like an intelligent analysis. I, where did I... Let me look here right quick. I think the book's on this table. One second, just so I can prove my point. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got mine too. One sec. I don't have mine. Mine's... I, I've got two copies. One, one second. But for everybody listening, I read this book. I highly recommend that you read it. Um, if you can deal with being depressed, um, cause it is a very depressing book sent me into like sadness for multiple days. This episode is brought to you by a company that doesn't make you sad. Advanced warfighter solutions. It's not, <laughs> they're not depressing. They don't make you sad. They don't talk about grotesque stuff. Advanced warfighter solutions isn't grotesque at all. As a matter of fact, they have really 
good life enhancing products like the SMU War Belt as opposed to really depressing stuff like um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. So check out AWS. <laughs> and you can go to our they, they make very good gear and assault packs also, which yep. is gear. but Which you would need if you were in the plot of The Road. You would want AWS gear. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm reading it right now. It's you don't eat people. No, we don't eat people. Can I go with you? Yes, you can. Okay, then. Okay. Well, that's a lie. Um, And then (laughs) shut up. Somebody (laughs) asks you, hey, do you eat people? Are you going to be like, yeah, I totally eat people. It keeps going. Everybody's just reading their book now. (laughs) Everyone's (laughs) reading the road. Um, I did. I, I could find the book, so I'm trying to look it up. I found the last paragraph, but I want the second to last paragraph. Go, go ahead. How do I know you're one of the good guys? You don't. You'll have to take the shot. Are you carrying the fire? Am I what? Carrying the fire. You're kind of weirded out, aren't you? No, just a little. That's a... Mitch, the, the fact that you thought they were lying speaks more about your psychology than anything else. Well, I didn't. There's no good people in this world. You could even argue that like the dad isn't a good person in some there cases. Is, there is uh, the old man who they come across. Remember yes. him? Who lost his son. Is he a good which... person? Yeah, well, his purpose of the story narratively is to show the potential of the father had the son been lost. And the strength of the ending is that the fa- the son can continue without his father because he has had those lessons instilled from his father. But perhaps if the father lost his son, he would be like the old man, hopeless and alone in the world. I don't know. Okay, I understand. So- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust your analysis of anything <laughs> more than my own, just because that is quite literally your job. But I'll tell you my first impressions when I was reading this. I was like, old man isn't a good person, but like he's just. Yeah, but Mitch, you are so skeptical of literally everyone. Of anyone to be alive in that world, they can't be good people. I don't think the dad. I I think you could argue that some people are better than others. Like the dad is definitely better than some cannibals. But I imagine to get to that point. A lot of Cormac McCarthy's work, too, is the, the kind. It's not necessarily around the duality of man so much as. There's a lot of nuance in morality. There's not good people or bad people. They're just kind of people. And there's varying scales of it. And the way that he describes his wife, who I understand, like, his wife, like, killed himself. And that's, like, a really, like, you could argue selfish thing. But the way that it's described, like, whorish thoughts for, like, one, she's like, I don't see any hope, so I have to do this thing. Like, she is so far gone. And in that world, that is a completely understandable thing. Well, like, all right, all right, all right, all right. So the purpose is, okay. So this is now a Cormac McCarthy podcast. This is now a Cormac McCarthy podcast. The purpose of that, of him describing his wife as he does as whorish, I believe he describes her as adulterous with these thoughts of leaving him and all that. He describes death as if it is a suitor as if it is a man who's come to steal his wife, because to him, that is quite literally what it is. He has also been forced to live in this world. But the reason that he continues, he talks at several points in the story how great it would be to just die. But the reason he doesn't is because of his son. And at one point in the story, the son says, why can't we just die? Why can't you kill me? Then you kill yourself. And his dad says, because we have to carry the fire. His dad has accepted the responsibility to be a good person and to pass that on to his son. And that's a burden he's taken. The reason he feels that his wife left him for another man, that man being death is because in a way she did, because he has taken on the burden of keeping their son alive and his wife left him to do that alone. 
The purpose of him treating death as a suitor is because that was the temptation that drove her away from the family. And yes, it sucks. And obviously no one would want to live there. It doesn't seem that really anyone in the story wants to live in this world. However, that was his burden as a parent. And he despises her for not sharing that burden with him. Have you made an iceberg on this book? No. <laughs> I, even if you just do it just for me, I would appreciate it. <laughs> I you. have my own theories and my own thoughts, and you're just throwing them. You're like, no, nah, you're a fucking idiot. Like, this is absolutely. <laughs> I read this book three times in the last week. Um, like, I would, I would love if you did that. And I'm it, sure that because Cormac McCarthy has like a cult like fall and I'm not saying everybody that follows him is in like a fucking cult. I don't think that's the case. But I did look up online and there are some people who are like like they worship him. Like people like worship like Trump as a god. There are people that like worship Cormac McCarthy as like a mm-hmm. god. And it's like I, I that was my deep dive this last week. I was like, holy shit, people <laughs> legitimately think that this guy is like a fucking prophet the way that he writes. I actually mentioned that in my, I did a video about no country for old Ben. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mentioned in that video, how Cormac McCarthy is uh, often considered a misanthrope. In other words, he just like hates people and all his stories are about sad people die, whatever. Uh, But the point I make in that video is that it's quite the opposite. Um, Cormac McCarthy believes in humanity more so than any other writer I've seen because all of his stories are about the world being evil and brutal, sure. But if you dig a little bit below the surface, it is consistently about the human spirit rising beyond it. That in spite of how wicked and awful the world can be, like in The Road, a father and son's bond is more powerful than cannibals and the destruction of the world and everything else. It's about the human spirit more so than anything. And actually, I found, if you didn't read the epilogue, this will be wild. Should I read him the last paragraph of the book? Yes, please. (laughs) Yeah, I I have it here. Do you have, okay, I can't find the second to last paragraph where it talks about him talking to his father. Do you see that? Uh, Yes. Uh, He tried to talk to God, but the best thing was to talk to his father, and he did talk to him, and he didn't forget. The woman said that all, that uh, that was all right. She said that the breath of God was his breath, Yet, the, uh, though it passed from man to man through all of time. And then it gets into the book, Brook Trout. And, uh, yeah. Man, I've, I about cry every time I hear that. Uh, <laughs> because earlier in the book, his father, this is the first chapter of the book, when looking at his son, like, yeah, okay, so we know how awful the world is, right? We know how mm-hmm. abysmal it is. So we yeah. have to establish that this boy is worth it. That keeping this boy alive is worth everything. And in the opening chapter of the book, it says, when the man looks at his son, he looks at him as if he were the voice of God. And if he were not the voice of God, then God never spoke. One of the most beautiful lines of love in all of fiction. And then there, at the end of the story, it says the boy tries to talk to God and the woman tells him that's okay. Sometimes the voice of God moves for men throughout time to time. The idea... That the purpose of God, whatever concept of God you have, it is this father and son. That This father held the voice of God, and now he passed it on to his son. That's the fire. That's the essence of the story. And it's confirmed by his survival and carrying on the father's legacy that it was worth it. That all of the struggle and everything they went to was worth it because they kept God alive through survival themselves. (laughs) (laughs) 
internet. <laughs> well, this is a really bad time to say that I have to. I have to head out. <laughs> All right, I won't read the trout. I won't read the trout chapter. Then everyone can look it up. But yes, it's uh, it's good stuff. That, that changes make, it a little for you, doesn't it? It does. I thought they were cannibals. Please make a nice <laughs> one. <laughs> um, oh, I'm the host, Nathan. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to make a new thing. Yes. No. Um, shit. How, how do we do that? I mean, you you can just like mute yourself and fuck off. Cormac McCarthy Appreciation Podcast. Uh, take two. Uh, uh, I Mitch will is always gone. be a part of that. I will always be yes. a part of that. That was so uh, funny. Isaiah is the new co-host. Mitch has left. He's been replaced with his more handsome, less dollar store version of himself. <laughs> I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> the Road is one of my favorite books. I have never deep dived an analysis of it like that. And I I haven't read it in years. I, I, I haven't. And I'm going to have to again. There's a lot of nuance in that ending. Which actually, I, I will admit, I didn't think they were cannibals, but it was lost on me. And I'm going to have to read it again <laughs> with that in mind. <laughs> with that in mind. Um, yeah, it's one of those stories that stuck with me as soon as I read it. Like, yeah. while I was reading it, I knew it was something special. But by yeah. the time I came to the end of it, I remember just sitting there in kind of this desolation because it's like uh this is going to affect me isn't it like <laughs> like long term <Yeah. laughs> and it has um it's reshaped a lot of the way i view quote-unquote depressive media or like uh yeah. things that have to do with it because it's using the environment not just to be shocking but to highlight the importance of humanity and the importance of this relationship um in a way i've never really forgotten and I've, I've always loved the story for that. I love all of Cormac's works. Uh, like I said, No Country for Old Men is my favorite movie. Um, like, that guy knew what he was doing. Or still yeah. does. Not dead. <laughs> that, that was Coen Brothers directed, wasn't it? Yes. I, I believe so. So Cormac McCarthy did the screenplay. Um, he wrote the screenplay with him. And then they uh, obviously did the direction. Which the Coen Brothers are in a similar vein where they are often considered misanthropic. But again, I argue the majority of their story, not all of them, but the majority of their stories are about the power of the human spirit in spite of it. hundred percent. When you think about any tale, like the old epics of the Greek gods and like uh, our, our legends and fables of mighty warriors, it is always set in stark contrast to the world around them. There's very few stories where it's like, everything was perfect. And this guy was also good. It's most often a hero rising up to fight the world. Um, So I think it's a little, I I know it's because of the shock values, the reason people say it, but I think it's a little disingenuous to look at people like Cormath and say, oh, well, he's just miserable all the time because his worlds are awful. But in a sense, that's the spirit of the indomitable human nature. They have to rise up against something. So if the world's perfect, what's the purpose of a hero story? Yeah, good good narratives are driven by conflict. That's how it's always been. Yeah. And uh, and honestly, like we're we as a society are so used to the most depressing and brutal depictions in media that to establish a brutal world, you've got to go pretty hard. Uh, Absolutely. Because like, like you, no you don't really have to look much further than cable news. Yeah. <laughs> Unironically, like yeah. no one, no one. I remember when Red Dawn came out. 
that was like wild to people right yeah i mean obviously there were people who weren't they weren't necessarily scared by it but it's like wow we could be invaded any second that's crazy but that's just like Mm. a tuesday movie for us at this point that's just so standard so if you're going to set you know evil humanity in contrast to good humanity yeah uh, you got you got to eat a baby (laughs) (laughs) and the, the worst thing too is it's not overly unrealistic with things that have happened it seems so shocking to us but throughout history, brutality is commonplace. It, it always yeah. has been. In yeah. situations where the unthinkable happens, people, and not, not everyone, but all it takes is some, um, revert to a really base version of themselves that there's not really any coming back from. It's not overly unrealistic to think that, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll use a good example, and this is kind of lazy and very indicative of my generation. I really, really liked The Last of Us. Um, mm. the the playstation 3 game well 4 and i i guess they're remaking it for 5 <laughs> I, I thought it was br- very well written and uh not not really comparable to the road in, in terms of its narrative but um so the last of us has been i love the first game yes uh, oh I, i'm not even talk, going to right, mention right. the second game Last of Us Part 2 has been a tribulation for me um, because it happened and I was There's no taking it back now. It's out there. Correct. Yeah, it's a thing that happened. The more I think about it, the more I don't know what a second game would like. I I have ideas for how second game could go. Yeah. But in concept, like if you were just to take an IP and say that, oh, what if we did a dark, gritty sequel about a character journeying out across the land to get revenge on a character from the first one, blah, blah, blah. In a way, there I mean, there's several series that have done it right. Look at the Logan movie, right? That was yeah. a desolate, depressing tale of the future. However, Logan was fantastic. Logan was fantastic. Exactly. But I think the reason The Last of Us Part 2 failed, the the reason it's been like a conflict for me isn't because I like it. It's because I'm so interested in why it was bad. Um, And I think a lot of that was because it had the bones of a story, but it didn't know what made the story good. Um, It's almost like an AI putting together a script of revenge, right? It doesn't know how to make the parts fit the right way. Because, well, go ahead. It's indicative of, I've always found mediocre games or games that are good in every regard except for the writing, games that should be good but aren't, are infinitely more frustrating to me. And, and this applies to movies as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And, or books or anything. They are infinitely more frustrating to me than a game or a movie or a book that is simply bad because yeah, there is such potential there and it has the bones and the structure to create something good and it's built off the back of something good. And then it just falls so flat. It didn't feel like there was any heart. Yeah, yeah. No, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 you're good, 100%. Uh, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Um, like it, It's the idea that it has, which like the gameplay in that game is phenomenal. It's so it, fun it to is. play. It's beautiful. Which again, makes, which makes the story all the more frustrating. Um, yeah. But there's... I I think what it is, is that, again, in concept, I love the idea of Ellie becoming Joel from the first story and rising up against a threat that destroyed him. However, 
it ends there because instead of a tale of her rising to it, instead of being a hero story of her becoming better than the faults that she was faced with, it instead is just a story of her suffering. And that's it. The entire purpose of the story starts and ends with suffering. Uh, There's no hope to be found in it. There's no greater days that she's reaching. Not even like, not that revenge it necessarily has to be. I know that the purpose of the game is defeating the cycle of revenge. So I don't even need that. It would be nice. But I don't even need that for the narrative. I just want it to mean something. And it seems that by the end of it, it was entirely a nihilistic tale. You know, now that I say that out loud, The Last of Us Part Two is the thing everyone thinks Cormac McCarthy is. Yeah, Everyone thinks that he's just a nihilist who has stories about why how awful and broken humanity is. But whereas his stories are about people rising to overcome that, that's exactly what The Last of Us Part Two is. It's about how awful and evil the world is, and that's it. Yeah. I, I don't think the, uh, the decisions she made at the end were any real tangible form of personal growth. Correct. It was, I, I understand the whole, and I, I don't want to be too specific for people who somehow by now are interested enough they to can, play they it can get it yet. spoiled they can get it spoiled <laughs> you know what sure um her, her decision not to kill this character and to uh break the cycle of revenge it, it did there was no meat to that she didn't really grow much as a person her character stayed basically the same the entire time she comes back to find her life has been ruined regardless and mm. i i I'm unable to, and I, I'm mostly unwilling to dive through it any more than I already have. I, I played it, and it, it just left a sour taste in my mouth. Um, it, it's it's bitter, isn't it? Like the whole yeah. the narrative and the feeling, the atmosphere of it. It's like yeah. vitriolic, all of it. It's so it's so bizarre. Yeah, I think it's interesting though that the way it's structured makes it feel like it's going to be a redemption story. But by the time the plot's over, while they do the redemption thing, they've hit such a low point that it seems useless. Yeah. That's very sweet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Mitch just texted apologizing for having to leave early. Um, He, he has wife and child things to do, which, you know, that's always, that's always more important. Real life stuff. Disagree. Uh, we are more important. <laughs> Be a man, ditch your family. Be a man, ditch your family for our fucking podcast, Mitch. I know you're listening to this right now. <laughs> Look, I know your mom just died, but if you're not in the call of duty tournament tonight, you will be kicked from the clan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mitch, you got that? <laughs> Mitchy piece of shit. get your priorities straight gosh this oh is why you were God. kicked out of phase <laughs> christ though i i appreciate those, those analysis quite a bit i i don't know if you've played the the quarry or uh until dawn or any of those but i have such like a, a they're they're not exactly you know narrative masterpieces but i i'm really enjoying them they're just fun you know, They're fun. Um, yeah, I, I played Until Dawn. I haven't played the quarry yet. I plan to. Um, I'm enjoying it. it. It is what it purports to be, which is you know a teenage slasher, except interactive. But. Right. My my biggest problem with those games, and I know this is like a sort of a nitpick, but um, 
I never know what I'm properly doing. And I understand that's how it works to a degree. Yeah. It's like, oh, save this person or run away. Like I like I understand. I don't want the narrative to be like, uh, this is the good answer, this is the bad answer. But yeah. sometimes it will say something like argue. And then when I hit argue, it like slaps someone like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't, <laughs> like, wait, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. yeah like, oh, hold on. Which I, I, again, I don't really know how that could be course corrected. It's just gets frustrating <laughs> over time. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I understand that. It's kind of like the, the mass effect thing. You click the wrong button and you just like shoot someone and kick them out a window. Yeah. Like start, start world war three right now. Like I just wanted to talk. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like good option app. bad option the the good option is i don't know give him a cookie the bad option is just murder everyone else in the room <laughs> that's normally i go telltale is the worst for that oh um, yeah i remember so many times the preview text would be like say you're sorry and then like my character starts crying it's like okay all right this isn't what i meant <laughs> yeah I I feel bad about Telltale. I, I genuinely like. I don't game very much, but I enjoyed their games quite a bit when they were around. And yeah. I think they stretched themselves too thin and went bankrupt. I think they had a good thing going with The Walking Dead. Uh, that's probably the best use of the universe I've ever seen. The Walking yeah. Dead. Oh, the they, first game. They, those games were fantastic. Yeah, like like it it got its point across. That I could do an entire analysis of those games. I, I love them a lot. At least the yeah. first two. And then around the time that the third one came out, which if you're familiar with the plot of the third one, they tried something new, which I think was a horrible idea. What uh, was it again? I, I can't remember the third one, which they, probably means it was mediocre and forgettable. So the forgettable. first two games were about Clementine, right? Yes. The third game was about a baseball player named Javi who had his own plot, his own characters that Clementine was a side character in interesting I, I think they were planning to do a series i don't know i think they're planning to do like a series of games around different characters and clementine would just kind of be tangentially connected but like that's yeah. a that's a horrible idea um we all come to the games for her because yeah. of the bond that we built in the first one so that was a bad move i hated that game uh and that's also when they tried a bunch of different projects like you said they spread themselves too thin uh, yeah. And that eventually led to their bankruptcy to the degree that they went bankrupt as they were completing the final Walking Dead game, uh, oh, which I, act I actually really like the fourth one. I think it's like up there with the first one in quality. Great yeah. story. And I think honestly, it left the character and the ending in a great place. It was like a happy ending to a zombie game. I was very, yeah. uh, I, I was very happy with how it turned out. But I think it may have been Skybound. I forget which company it is, but they had to come in and finish the game, essentially, because Jeez. they went bankrupt as they were doing it, which is a very hard position to be in. Yeah. But, like, those games were so fantastic, man. <laughs> like, the, the Walking Dead games. And I wish they would have stuck to stuff like that, but yeah, they just spread themselves too thin. Yeah. They, they took on a lot of projects at the same time. I remember they had a, a Batman one, a Game of Thrones one, a Borderlands, like all sorts of IPs. I forgot about the Borderlands one. Yep. I, I actually enjoyed the Borderlands one a lot. It, I never played it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not saying it's not good. I, I, I know yeah, nothing no, about I, it. I enjoyed it more than the Borderlands games themselves. Was, oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Which, you know, not a super high bar, but... <laughs> I... 
I like the Borderlands games as yeah. a dystopian comedy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, they're very clear about. Like, like I will pay you to kill yourself. The games, the games know what they are. Yeah, um, I really and, enjoyed the second one a lot. Yeah, Borderlands Two is a lot of fun. I like that game yeah. a lot. I even liked uh, a bunch of people hated the pre sequel. I kind of liked it. I liked the pre sequel. Um, like, it, it was pretty clear that it was made quickly, but yeah, I, I yeah. liked it. It wasn't as big. It was kind of short, but I like I liked the character of Handsome Jack enough that I was willing yeah. to see that whole story play out um i liked most i haven't played borderlands 3 but i liked yeah. two in the pre-sequel uh but yeah the, the reason i didn't play the telltale game is because i felt i didn't feel like the story or at least the aspects of it i like would translate well to a point and click adventure yeah but i mean if you say you like it then what do i know i i mean it, it it's it's all in the writing and i i thought the writing was actually quite strong okay interesting like it, it had its its own characters its own ip you know it built on the the established universe fairly well but not to the degree where you really needed to know what was going on but interesting okay yeah i'd, I'd recommend it cool all right that, but, um, that, that's the best review i've heard of it <laughs> thanks i don't know maybe people hated it maybe people don't i very purposely if i'm interested in a piece of media i don't look up fucking anything unless if it's something i've been looking forward to i want to disappoint myself or i want to walk in with my feelings and opinions completely untainted and walk out with my yeah because it's so easy to for example you know the the new star wars movies i haven't seen all of them you know uh I avoided everything, and I'm not a big Star Wars person. I never really have been. Um, but, for example, Episode 2, the entire internet's in a tizzy about, oh, it's the biggest piece of shit in the world. And I, I didn't want to taint my opinion, uh, you know, knowing it was the biggest piece of shit in the world before I walked in. I walked in, and I learned it was the biggest piece of shit in the world. Um, <laughs> you know, the internet was right. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, I, I I would prefer to to disappoint myself in my own merits as opposed to mm. just kind of going along with the group think. I respect that. Uh, a lot of the yeah. times, opinion can sway. I think I've got to a point where I don't care enough. Like, I yeah. there's a lot of larger projects I just don't like, regardless of how much attention's behind them. Um, and there's such stuff I do like, even if people around it don't. Uh, I wasn't crazy about us. Um, Oh, the, the, the Jordan, uh, Jordan Peele, Peele movie. movie? Uh, everyone yeah. loved it. Everyone's obsessed with it. I was not crazy about it. I feel like the narrative took a back seat for the symbolism. Um, I can I see that. I, I still thought it was good, but that that's just a movie that everyone freaked out about that I'm a little mixed on. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think I've gotten to a point where I can pretty well separate public opinion from my own for the most part at least yeah i also agree that like the new star wars movies are awful but that's just oh, that's dude, just a fact that's not fuck, a yeah. <laughs> like i yeah it's like they, they make me look back at the prequels fondly i um, yeah i grew up with the prequels so they've always had a nostalgic place for me i do yeah. understand that they're objectively bad movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that i i get it i know they're bad but they're i like them kind of yeah. like um, no, honestly same no no, no I, I won't say they're like quite like fast and furious movies but kind of like yeah call of duties kind of like yeah. call of duties right like i understand that call of duties multiplayers are campy and gamey and like pretty 
dumb minded like you don't have to think a lot to play it but at the same time i have fun <laughs> goofing yeah. around in like those maps and no, same stuff. you know what you're going to get within like a standard correct. deviation correct yeah and i do think that like the end of the prequels like i've always since i first saw it i've always maintained that while the dialogue's not the best the emotions between like hayden christensen and ewan mcgregor are good in yeah. uh, the, at the end of the prequels like their battle on mustafar i've always loved that scene campy or otherwise yeah that being said there's some really dumb moments in that movie as well but for the most part i'm uh she died of a broken heart like that uh yeah (laughs) things like that happen pretty frequently um leia in the original movie saying she remembers growing up with her mother and then her mother dies seconds after giving birth to her just stuff like i I get it i i know they're objectively bad but that they're my bad it's my thing yeah no i i, I know, I I know he's a bad yeah. dog but he's my dog yeah. <laughs> but yeah i feel like we we never actually got in into it and it's a question that you don't necessarily have to a- answer you answered it off the air but where did wendigoon come from ah so yeah i grew up uh with the stories of the wendigo uh, my grandfather always told them to me growing up. He told me about the legends of the woods and he had always taught the Wendigo to me. It's not like necessarily something to be feared, just kind of a warden or a protector within the woods. And that's something that always stuck in my mind growing up. So as I got older, I always loved those legends. And then I got into the gun stuff a lot. I got into shooting, got into shooting at night, uh, everything related to that. And yeah, somehow we just passed over all of that and just really did Cormac McCarthy for like 40 minutes. I'm not, I don't regret it. I have a gift for derailing podcast. Oh, every podcast I'm on has nothing to do with what they originally intended. It's, it's my, that's why we walk in with no intention. Perfect. Fantastic. Uh, but yes, I am, for those that don't know, I am very much so into the gun stuff. Not, um, I do night vision shooting, uh, training, other redacted activities. Um, but that, like, as most of us know, goon is a word that's often associated with that. So I'm like, all right, how can I combine, like, my love of creepy supernatural stuff and yeah. my love of, again, redacted and nefarious activities? So Wendigo and goon. So I just combined the two and made Wendigoon. Uh, which is why my logo is a deer skull with night vision on. Um, I fucking love that. Yeah, we, we got a lot of messages about bringing you on it. And uh, like I'd been followed you for a little while before. I, I think I told you this. Uh, we For anyone listening, we uh, set to record a couple days ago, but we ended up just like having a two and a half hour conversation about bullshit, not recording a fucking nope. word, nope. which was great. It was wonderful. It was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah, that you'll never get to hear. Sorry, That guys. you'll never get to hear that I, I was way too glowy about <laughs> some parts of it. Um, but that's fine. That it is what it is. Uh, I, I like the gun stuff a lot. Which it, yeah. it, it is funny that we talked about all of that off the podcast. Yeah. And, and then now we finally on the got podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It's great. It's fine. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, am I allowed to, to say you own a fucking belt fed? Do I, do I have to cut Yeah, that? yeah, you could say no, you're good, you're good. You can say that, yeah. You own a fucking belt fed. <laughs> I, I plan to own more. Uh my that... current my current endeavor is transferables. Ah, uh, yes so i'm going i'm looking into a bunch of stuff like that i've i've ran a lot of them i've shot uh mg3s um 
stuff like that. Uh, I've played with an M60, haven't got to shoot it. Um, there's a few I'm looking at, but yeah, but uh, squad automatic weapons are useful in most, you know, redacted applications, but also um, they're just cool. They're neat. They're, they're just so. fucking cool. They're, they're really they're cool. cool. Yeah. Um, especially when you actually own one. As a side yeah. note, totally unrelated. Uh, one, one of my better friends, one of my best friends is an indigenous and he uh, very much is, you know, spiritual and uh, well, superstitious, I think is a better word. Mm. And I think he had an experience or I heard of an experience a little while ago, and he does not go into the woods. He calls it his Wendigo repellent. He has a Caltech KSG <laughs> that he just loads with slugs. <laughs> Wendigo repellent. That's great. <laughs> just fucking like, I think uh, what, one tube is buckshot, one tube is slugs, and he, he just, <laughs> it's the Wendigos. That's really funny. I respect I like it. That. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, you want to be dead or deader? Those are the two yeah. options. Nah. No, that is funny. I get told a lot that, uh, well, so my grandfather was native, uh, which is where he knew all those legends from. Uh, and as I started using the name online, people are like, you know that if you use the name, you summon it. It's like, well, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you're fucked. I guess like the I, amount of times Wendigo has been said on this podcast, Wendigo. Um, yeah yeah I, well i've got a really good friend uh who's navajo and yeah. uh they they have similar traditions when it comes to skinwalkers and like you're not supposed yeah. to mention them you're not supposed to bring them up and i was talking to him the other day uh in a group chat with some buddies and he was uh, i was like are you, are you afraid because he was talking about skinwalkers and he was like I said, are you afraid of mentioning them? Should you not mention yeah. them? And he said, well, I figure if either of us are going to die for that, it'll be you first. So as soon as <laughs> you're dead, I'll shut up. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll see if I kick the bucket here soon. Yeah. If just like a, a strange version of you shows up repeating lines you've said and your skin looks a little loose, um, we'll, we'll know exactly <laughs> what happened. I love those pictures of like a dog and it's like, help my car's stuck in the woods. I mean, uh, bark, bark. <laughs> <laughs> Just like going to your window, the, the deer standing on, on, uh, both like hind legs. <laughs> I'm talking to that same friend about doing some videos out in Navajo nation. And yep. we were going to investigate some creepy stuff. And he's, <laughs> I is that the like, guy you did the missing 411 video with no that's a different guy uh th this friend who i'm referring to is uh he's from navajo nation um, that's awesome. uh the guy I, you said that and then i just totally blanked i don't know oh why. you're good you're good um the guy aiden from the 411 video is a historian who helps me with a lot of that stuff uh specifically with my friend from navajo nation we were going to go i would say his name but i don't know if he wants me to just throw his name out there um he does have one, as a matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to go out there and uh, explore some of the creepy areas, and I was like, "Oh, uh, if we run into any trouble, are you gonna are you gonna be brave and protect me?" And he was like, "No, I'm bringing you because if either of us have more bad karma on them, it's you. So you die first. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, it's, buddy. It's, it's the whole idea of like bring someone who runs slower than you because the yes. the bear will get them first." Bring someone who statistically said when to go more times than you. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm doing a uh, 
I think this month, just a car road trip across like rural Canada to to uh, go to the states. Just a uh, oh, cool. God, I, I, I don't even remember where I uh, drove through rural New Brunswick a couple weeks ago. And I just felt like I was going to fucking die the entire time, like going down <laughs> like unlit back roads, uh, almost hit three different moose. I, I feel like the more I say these things, the more statistically likely it is that they're just going to find my my car with, you know, maybe some of my bones and, you know, loose skin. <laughs> like pulled over like on that. the side of a logging trail. <laughs> the natural uh, progression of any podcast host. The ditch. <laughs> It happens to everyone eventually. <laughs> but I was going to say, yeah, but hopefully the belt feds will delay that a little bit. <laughs> a, a little bit. Maybe uh, pick up a Caltech KSG and load one round with one uh, tube with slugs and the other with buckshot. Yeah, for me. Yeah. <laughs> for myself. Uh, if it for, for yourself. The first round right. goes in, into you. Correct. Um, <laughs> anyways, we're coming up on uh, about the two hour mark. So, uh, we should do this again because I feel like there's so much more. <laughs> like we dived <laughs> Cormac McCarthy alone for like half an hour and we got to know all sorts of stuff on the, uh, like off the air. That'd be pretty cool, but I don't want to keep you all day. Anyways, before we wrap up, is there anything you would like to shill? Uh, yeah. So I am currently working on a movie with the writers and director of the SCP Overlord and SCP Dollhouse films. Uh, this movie is set within the Stalker universe and called Shadow of the Zone. Um, I am very excited to do it. I know that you're familiar with some of the people who are also a part of the project. Um, and I think it's going to be very cool. Um, I like I said, I do a lot of the goon activities, even though we discuss literature more so. But hey, that proves that I enjoy screenwriting, which is what I did for this film. So yes. look at that. We'll talk look more at that. It was relevant. Time, exactly. Yeah. Um, but as someone who both likes the writing side of it and the goon side of it, I can guarantee you this movie is going to be cool. So uh, that is what I'm working on now. Check it out on Kickstarter at shadow of the zone or i've mentioned it a bunch on the youtube channel if you want to see it there and we are very excited to get this project running i think we're at 68 we're nearing 70 percent funding yeah you um, guys are doing super well last i looked um, it, it's going pretty good uh i think i actually got an email while i was sitting here it's 66 percent funded yes that's so fucking awesome we're two-thirds of the way there uh hopefully we can get the rest of the way but check that out if you're interested uh, yeah, I I think it'll. I know it'll be cool. So here I, I have in my hand one one of the things that I'm 3D printing for it. Ah, but, very cool. Nice. Yeah, it's uh the main character's I don't know radio thing. I don't know. Stephen sent it to me. But oh, I, good. Bet, I, I I bet it is the uh, anomaly detection thing. Yeah, the uh, it's got an antenna that pulls out. That's it. That's it. Yep. Yeah, so in the uh, some orange LEDs. In the games, those are used to look for anomalies around the area. So that's what this yeah. is for that. So yeah, very cool. Nice. Oh man, any anytime. But yeah, no, it looks like a super cool fucking project. And if y'all hear that, you should look into it and also maybe watch SCP Overlord if you've not already. Because Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, before we wrap up, is there any dad advice you would like to give? That we're not we're not stealing this bit from Mike. We're totally stealing this bit from Mike. Yeah, that's fine. I've always wanted to steal this bit from Mike, so that's good. <laughs> um, when it comes to money, 
and money investments, um, a lot of people will encourage you to buy money during times when the or buy thing buy money will encourage you to buy things and assets whenever the economy is doing well and then save your money when it's doing bad but you actually want to do the opposite because what happens whenever the economy dips or whenever we hit a time of inflation where money becomes um, more scarce so to speak companies will have to lower the value of their assets in order to get them sold. Because during times when everyone's buying something, it doesn't matter what the interest rates are. It doesn't matter how much they're charging. People are buying them up because they can. Whereas when the economy is going bad, people are less likely to buy things. So businesses have to lower their prices. So if while the money's good, you continue to store it for one that will amount to more money to you in the long run. And then you will have the moment of opportunity to buy things when the prices drop. So counter economics, when everyone's buying something, don't buy. And whenever they are not buying something, that's the time to look for deals. So yes. think backwards, uh, think against the flow, and you'll profit from it in the long run. Financial responsibility, folks. You heard it here first from Wendigoon. Buy low, <laughs> sell high. There you go. Buy in the deck. Buy super good advice. It's so, some of the uh, best advice I think we've had next to, um, I guess, don't say the word Wendigo while you're in the woods. Right, yeah, um, that too. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, thanks, man. We, we will do this again. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, anytime. Okay, bye.